Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host, TK, a teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this first episode of 2022, I'm joined by two brand new guests, fellow podcasters Sean of The Caption Life and Ellie of Oh Shoot. We reflect on the past year in the MCU and share some of our 2021 MCU superlatives. In doing so, our conversation does include spoilers for all of the 2021 MCU releases. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and you can now also leave ratings on Spotify. You can also support the show by purchasing There Was an Idea merchandise from Spring. Link is in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Today, I am thrilled to welcome two brand new guests to the podcast for this special 2021 MCU Year in Review episode. First up is one of the hosts of The Captioned Life, a podcast about the impact of comics and pop culture on life and society. Welcome to the show, Sean. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. And also joining us today is the host of the fun and nerdy film and TV review podcast, Oh Shoot. Welcome, Ellie. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. Oh, shoot. It sounds like an interjection and not the name I of know, the right? podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll begin the way we always do here by asking, what is your relationship to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? And we'll start with you, Sean. Yeah. So, you know, the MCU started in 2008 with Iron Man, right? And uh, 2008 was when I just got out of college and just got married. And so I feel like my adult life actually started with the MCU. And I've always been a big Marvel fan growing up. I grew up reading the comics. My uncle introduced me to uh, comic books and absolutely loved it. And I remember one of the first uh, characters that I really gravitated to uh, were the X-Men and Daredevil. And I've always loved anything that was Marvel related. So growing up in the 90s, of course, I grew up... Um, watching the X-Men show and just enjoyed all of that. And, you know, there was just a you know period of time where we didn't have a whole lot um, in terms of um, TV or, or movies. We had, you know, the Spider-Man films and we had uh, Fantastic Four, but we don't have like what we didn't have what the MCU is now. Right. And so mm -hmm. I feel like my adult life has been kind of shaped with the MCU because when I saw Iron Man, I remember growing up thinking Iron Man, um, was an interesting character. I didn't know much about him. And to see that movie was just inspiring to see all of your favorite characters kind of coming up on the big screen. It's like, wow, if they can do this with Iron Man. I wonder what they're going to do. And so being able to see all the other characters that they developed and bring in the Avengers on the big screen, and everything has just been really fantastic for me to see is being able to see all these characters I grew up with on the big screen. And now being a father, I get to say that with my son and we get to talk about, you know, who these characters are, what abilities they have and, and what they're known for, things like that. And so uh, the MCU is something that I just always been invested in and have always loved um, from Iron Man and have just really, you know, I, I, Anytime that anything MCU related comes out, I just have to watch it because I love just the stuff they come out with. Even if I end up watching a movie or so, I'm just like, yeah, I'm not thrilled with that. Um, I at least like the fact that the MCU has something that's at least exciting that gets you thinking about and talking about these characters the same way when I was a kid. So thank you. Thanks for sharing that. And I know over at the Caption Life that it's not 
a podcast that is 100% dedicated to the MCU, but it is something that you've talked about a lot. And I know recently you did a review of Spider-Man No Way Home as well as the Hawkeye series. So tell us Mm -hmm. a little bit more about that podcast and what you and your co-hosts do on that show. Yeah. So, um, you know, funny enough, we started the show about three years ago and um, originally we had three co-hosts. It was myself, Kevin and James, who's no longer part of the podcast. He had to step away. Um, But when we started it, we were just three guys who followed each other on Twitter and never met each other in person or anything like that, but um, just got connected through comics and education because we're all in, in the field of education. And one day, I, I forget what exactly what it was, but we all just talked about, man, it would be so great to create a podcast about you know comics and you know talking about how it relates to uh, what happens in our lives and and what we see in society in terms of parallels and and everything like that. And so we're just like, why don't we just try it out and start it uh, and, and start one, you know? So um, that's what we did the first year. We were really kind of loose about it where we just got together whenever we could. And so we didn't really put anything out regularly. Um, and then last year we started trying to put something out um, more consistently. We couldn't do every week, but we've been doing it twice a month and we've been able to stick to that. And what we wanted to do is have conversations about how comics have impacted our lives, but also other people's lives as well, too. And so we brought in people who um, are either in the comics industry as a writer or artist. We brought people who've been inspired by comics. So we had a um, a college professor who's also dean of a school um, who has actually written a textbook with a couple other people about the power of comics and how it's actually changed and shaped uh, society. We've had people who have cosplayed that came on the show before as well, too. Um, so anyone that has been uh, impacted by comics or characters from that field. We always try to get on, um, get them on the show and give them a platform to kind of share their story. And if they're, you know, creating a comic, we try to give them an opportunity to share that out with the world as well, too, because we want to support people on their journey as much as possible, um, whether it's something that's comics related or something that they were inspired by the comics to do something, or if they're just one that changed the world, you know, uh, we had a cosplayer on the show, Jonathan Bell, that, um, has been actually gaining a lot of popularity because he just dresses as um, he's mo- he's most known as Superman. The Seattle Superman is um, is what he's known as. Um, but he does a lot of different cosplays. But he does a lot of poses and um, and opportunities to kind of just promote a positive message across the globe, basically. And he's been having a great following on that. So we had him on the show and kind of talk about that. Um, and so we really just started as a way of just, you know, we wanted to do a podcast and it made sense to do something that was comics related because we all loved it. But as we grown on into our third year, we've been more cognizant of making sure that we talk about topics that not only are interesting to us and to other people, but topics that are really meaningful as well, too. And we know that bringing on guests onto our show to um, share with the world, you know, what they're doing and how they're impacting the world by being inspired by the comics and everything like that. We want people to be able to share their story in that um, lens, and so to speak. Well, it's definitely something that is both admirable and enjoyable to listen to. And I guess that you have had on the show before is with us today, Ellie. And Ellie, <laughs> what about you? What is your relationship to the MCU? Oh, man. I mean, it definitely has been a big part of my life. Even like if you just think of like Marvel movies, you know, the original Raimi trilogy for Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four movies, like the X-Men movies, those have been such a big part of my childhood. Like those are movies that I watched all the time. Like literally when I say all the time, I really do mean all the time. Like I love those movies so much. 
And then Iron Man came out and that quickly became like one of my favorite movies and one that I would just always, always watch whenever it was on TV or whenever just the opportunity came up, I'd always watch it. And even now, if it pops up, I'm like, it reminds me of my childhood. Like it, it's so nostalgic for me now to watch it. And I basically got to grow up with all of the MCU movies coming out into theaters. And I've always just been there when they're coming out. And now it is so like deeply rooted into like my personality and my passions and just the things that I enjoy. Whenever people or anyone like my friends are like, oh, like, do you want to watch a movie? Chances are I'm going to bring up an MCU movie first before bringing up anything else. It's either like MCU or Harry Potter for me. I'm like, let's watch one of these. And they're like, you've seen this before. And I'm like, yeah, I know I've seen it before (laughs) and I love it. So that's why I want to watch it again. And I just constantly get so excited about MCU as it is. And just like the future of the MCU as well, like seeing what they're doing with these movies and these TV shows and the platform that they have and introducing such amazing characters. It's just one of my absolute favorite things. And it makes me so grateful to be a fan of the MCU and have it be a part of my life like it is. And I'm just excited for like, you know, 10 years from now, what it's going to look like. Yeah. And I know on your podcast, Oh Shoot, you have been covering all of the MCU movies. But what is your mission statement there on your podcast? Because it's not purely about the MCU, right? No, it's not. I When I started started the podcast. It was because I love movies and I watch them all the time and I talk about them constantly with my friends. So I was like, okay, like why not instead of like just talking to them, I can create episodes and dedicated to just movies I love. And then I was thinking about, I was like, okay, well, what do I start with? Because I love so Mm -hmm. many different movies. And my mind went like, why not just start with like Marvel? It's been such a big part of my life. I know the movies really well. We're like, when I started the podcast, of course, it was 2021. And I'm like, this is phase four of Marvel. Like, what a great time to kind of get into it because we're getting that new content. It's on everyone's mind. So I was like, let's start right from the beginning and go from there. But it's true. Like, I am not purely a Marvel <laughs> Marvel podcast. Many people think this. I'm not, though. <laughs> <laughs> I will, like, especially in this year, be getting into like those different, you know, like genres of film and those different areas of film and like TV shows as well. Cool. Well, we have something in common there because when I first started this podcast, there was an idea. I almost took your approach to make it uh, more a more general film and TV podcast. And like you, there was just something about the MCU that drew me into that space first. And I also have some things in common with you, Sean, in talking about the relationship between these comics characters and education as being something that's that's really interesting to me. So I think we have a, a good group here. And I love what you both spoke to about whether it's growing up with these movies or the, these movies ushering us into adulthood in a certain type of way. There's a pattern here about being able to follow this world and and there being some growth there, there being a reliable consistency to, like you said, Sean, like always feeling excited for these movies, even if we see a certain one and it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily our favorite. 
Uh, and as you said, Ellie, too, like a rewatchability to them. So I am really excited to have you both here today. I had figured who better to reflect on the past year of MCU content than a couple of awesome podcast hosts that I came across in late 2021. So let's get into it. Awesome. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so to recap, on January 15th, 2021, WandaVision premiered on Disney+, Plus, ushering in a new era for the MCU in a few ways. This was, of course, the first new MCU installment in over a year due to the various delays caused by the pandemic, the first installment of Phase 4, and the MCU's first official steps into the TV series format. WandaVision's nine-episode run was then followed by six episodes of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier beginning on March 19th and six episodes of Loki beginning on June 9th. And one month later, on July 9th, after being pushed back three times, Black Widow simultaneously hit theaters and Disney Plus premiere access. And this was the installment that was originally meant to kick off Phase 4 back in May 2020, and the delays, the shift in its placement, and the way it was released, along with the lawsuit that followed, may have impacted <laughs> its uh, reception <laughs> yeah. a little bit, but listeners of this show will know that it, it's a personal favorite of mine. Continuing on with the year, the MCU's first animated series, What If, premiered on Disney Plus on August 11th and ran for nine episodes. Brand new MCU origin story, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, hit theaters on September 3rd, and Eternal soon followed on November, on November 5th. Unlike Black Widow, both of these films had exclusive theatrical releases, and Eternals was also in the spotlight for being the first ever MCU film to receive a rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes which unfortunately, in my opinion, dominated too much of the cultural conversation around that film. On November 24th, Hawkeye hit Disney Plus, and just before that series wrapped up on December 22nd, the much-anticipated Spider-Man No Way Home was released to theaters on December 17th, shattering pandemic box office records. So, suffice it to say, it has been a packed year for the MCU. And with all of that in mind, when we look back on it, Sean, we'll start with you. What do you think we'll remember most about the MCU in 2021? Uh, uh, just one thing, or <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I gotta say, I think there's going to be a couple things that this will definitely be remembered for. Is and and I got mention this because I, I think there's no way around it. But Spider-Man No Way Home is mm -hmm. going to be discussed for years to come because. It, you know, and, and I think Tara, you and I talked about this, uh, talked about this actually through um, Instagram, if I remember correctly, how we both said that the movie was like a a fan appreciation letter to all those who enjoyed Spider-Man, whether they're like diehard fans or they just enjoyed watching them on the big screen because it was basically pulling in all the previous Spider-Man films into this one multiversal film that everybody has been anticipating what I really enjoyed about that. And I, I mentioned this in a review I did for Spider-Man for this movie is that they wrote the characters really well that I think all the gripes that people had about, you know, if they didn't like Tobey Maguire or if they didn't like Andrew Garfield or if they didn't like Tom Holland, I feel like everybody just really enjoyed that. This was the best of those versions of those Spider-Man. Cause I, I gotta say like Tobey Maguire seem like, you know, being the the older Spider-Man in this scene, like this role in that movie was pretty much written for him. Like he just naturally dove into that and just 
commanded the screen that way. Right. And so I think this film is something that a lot of people want to talk about because it does a lot in terms of what's going to mean for the MCU moving forward, especially with the ending of it. But it was also what they were able to accomplish by pulling in um, all these characters from previous movies. And it was taken care of very well. It wasn't something that they pulled in as a cheap way to pull in audiences, but they told a really good story with these characters in there. And so I just think of all the things that we could talk about, I think that's one, that's the film that's really just going to dominate 2021 for years to come. Don't even get me started with No Way Home. I will not shut up about it. I love that movie so much, which saying that now, I think, I feel like keeping that in mind, I think you'll know how the rest of the rest of this episode is going to (laughs) go. I, but like one of the things I definitely agree. I think that was definitely the biggest movie of 2021. It's going to be discussed for weeks to come years from now, people will bring up this movie. And, but another kind of element of 2021 and MCU and what it brought to us that I think is really amazing to me are all the new characters that we got. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got so many really cool characters and ones that I'm just like so excited to see them in the future of the MCU and see how they get developed and, you know, see what shows or movies they appear in. And like, that's kind of what I love with the new phases and especially with getting phase four we got all those new characters because we, you know, we said goodbye to so many of them in phase three and now the energy is different. You know, it's like no longer Avengers focused Mm -hmm. and it's kind of hard to say what the focus is going to be now, because obviously we had Thanos as the big bad, everything with between phase one and three was leading up to Thanos. Right now it's that there's that bit of uncertainty where it's like, are we going to get kind of the same method, like three phases leading up to a new big bad? Like we haven't really gotten a lot of those kind of clues yet. So it's mm-hmm. like kind of exciting to be like, okay, what's going to happen? Like, what are they going to be doing with all of these new characters? And it's just, it's, it's so exciting to me. That's one of the things that stands out to me too about this year is something that I, on a previous episode, I think I described as kind of like bridge storytelling, where we are saying goodbye to some characters like Natasha and Clint. Maybe we're not saying goodbye to Clint, but we're we're acknowledging the the legacy of the OG Avengers and some of the the fallout, the consequences from Thanos and the blip are being reckoned with here and we're also mm-hmm. then being led into whatever the destination is going to be for this phase 4, whether that is a new overarching big bad villain or it's just like the thread of the multiverse or whatever it may be I feel like we're kind of in that bridge where as you said we're going to look back and we're going to say oh okay look at the way that all of these different pieces were laid out and what they led to and I am really enjoying that as well seeing a character like Yelena being introduced in the Black Widow movie feels like a really good example of this kind of torch passing and uh, seeing Kate Bishop introduced in the Hawkeye show as well So one of the other elements, though, that was new in 2021 for the MCU was the Disney Plus factor. So I'm curious to hear from you guys. How do you think Disney Plus has changed the MCU? And what impact do you think 
it will have moving forward. I love what Disney Plus has done with just like this kind of partnership and bringing in these TV shows. Cause I think it's another great way of like storytelling and it's a way for us to get to know a character and not just a movie. And in a way, like we get to receive more of them because we get, you know, like six to nine episodes, depending on which show it is. And when you, I mean, when you add all those numbers together, it's usually a little longer than a feature length film. And I just love the way that they've gone about it especially like when we got like WandaVision because I feel like as fans we were very curious to see how they would do these tv shows because we've been so used to the movies for like the past like 10 years that we were getting them so I know I was really curious I was like well how is this going to work like how are they going to tell us these stories and how are they going to fit in Because, of course, I mean, this is the MCU. This is Marvel. Everything has a purpose. Like, every little thing is, like, some form of little puzzle piece that's going to fit into another story. And I just loved the the way that they did WandaVision. They, of course, connected it to previous events. They continued her story. We got to get to know and get a lot, lot more connected with her character. We got to see Vision. And then we saw kind of, like, the conclusion of that and we were still left with that wonder of like, what does this mean going forward? Mm -hmm. So I love that they kind of stuck with that because that's, that's like kind of the thing with MCU movies as well. They always end with like the wonder of what's going to happen next. Yeah. And then of course, at the same time, we like got the news that she was going to be in like multiverse of madness. So again, there's like that excitement. It's like, okay, so this is how it fits in. And they did that with each show. And I love that they really stuck with that. No, I, I agree with Ellie on all that because I the Disney Plus shows, I think, um, actually came in at a great time with the pandemic coming around because they allow for us to be able to get back into the world without having to wait for the movies to get released. And I think it's a really good and interesting strategy um, for Disney and Marvel because, one, it allows them to get more subscribers basically, right? Like if, if people are loving the MCU, then they have to subscribe to Disney plus. Um, I think what's really interesting with how they're doing these shows is one, they're releasing them week by week with the episodes, right? Which I know some people want to be able to binge all of them. Um, but I've always, Kevin, and I talked about this on our show. I've always said that it's actually a smart uh, marketing strategy because if you expand it out week by week, then you get more buzz generated oh, yeah. by talking about the show for a longer time as opposed to releasing them all. And then, you know, that buzz pretty much dissipates after, you know, three weeks or maybe a month at most. Um, and so I think it's really interesting because if you look at the shows and see the shows um, of themselves, they tell a really great and powerful story, but they don't really change or impact the MCU in a great way with, with a couple exceptions. And I think they do that intentionally because if you ever, you know, hear Kevin Feige talk about when they create these movies, they always try to create a movie to the best of their ability that you can watch it without watching the other movies. And I think they're also doing that with the TV series on Disney plus is that this is great stories that we can still immerse ourselves in and get to know and love them. But if you go and watch a movie, you don't have to go back and watch, you know, this show to know, you know, what's going on. Whereas, you know, 
it kind of goes the other way. Like the whole reason why Yelena showing up in the show is such a big deal is because we saw what happened in Black Widow, right? And so I think it's kind of an interesting dynamic that they have with the relationship between the movies and the shows is that the movies may impact the shows, but they are recognizing the fact that not everybody goes to the movies probably has a subscription to watch all the other shows. And so they're not going to put a whole lot of stock in putting story or content in the stories that's going to impact the larger MCU from a cinematic point of view. Right. And so I think it's really interesting. And I think it's also challenging because, you know, with the amount of movies that's out there for the MCU, just movies alone, I mean, it can be daunting for someone who might want to get into it. And so if you tell them like, these are just the films, there's also these, you know, five series just out of 2021 that you might want to watch and everything that could be really daunting for somebody. And so I think that's why, they're probably approaching that as a strategy to say that these are like kind of like one shots. Like these are really cool and good stories that you might get to see a new character that gets introduced in the MCU and things like that. But you don't necessarily have to watch the show in order to watch this movie, unless you might want to learn a little bit more about the backstory of that person. But in, in order to, or to enjoy this movie, you don't necessarily need to see the shows. So I, I think that's where they're going with that at least. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think that that seems to be that's that's what how I'm interpreting it as well and about halfway through this year I had a conversation with Mav on on an episode of the podcast and we were discussing this like are the Disney Plus series required viewing and we thought with that moment at the end of Loki with the opening of the multiverse and the introduction of he oh oh my goodness he who remains. I couldn't. He who will not be named. You got me thinking about Harry Potter now, Ellie. Um, <laughs> with with he who remains. Yes, exactly. We'll have to talk about that later. But um, yeah, so we were wondering, like, okay, is this one that th- this does become a required viewing moment? And I think from what we saw in Spider Man No Way Home and the multiverse there, it doesn't seem like it's required. And I'm I'm going back to what you were saying too, Ellie, about how it gives us more time with the characters. So for me, it it really feels like I'm I'm agreeing with you, Sean. Like watching these series enhance it might enhance your experience with a particular movie and Mm -hmm. for me it also enhances my experience going back to some of the older movies but it doesn't it's not necessarily required viewing in that daunting kind of way where the mcu is not taking the risk to isolate people who as you said might not have that disney plus subscription or just might not be interested in following serialized television as well as the movies i feel like the only one that i would say is like a must watch would be like Falcon and the Winter Soldier since it's so much about Sam coming to terms with the Captain America role and kind of just accepting that he does deserve it. Mm -hmm. And just like that whole like full circle moment. I'm like, I feel like that's like the only one if I was like, okay, if you need to watch one of them, I would say that one Mm -hmm. just because of how important it is like for his character specifically right yeah i I think um i I agree with you to an extent where i mean the falcon the winter soldier was actually one of my favorite shows until hawkeye came out and and it kind of flipped but i I agree with you ellie that the falcon the winter soldier had a lot of interesting and um dynamic topics that they covered and one of them is just like what you said with sam coming to terms um, with the mantle of Captain America. But I think that even if you don't watch Captain America, when they have the next Captain America movie come out, the way that they left with Endgame with Steve Rogers handing off the shield to him, 
I think he's still going to have that smooth transition um, to a certain extent, even if you don't watch a Falcon Winter Soldier. And the only thing will come up is like, oh, where do you get that suit from? But again, in the movie, you could probably explain that with like a quick line or two and kind of move on from it. But I, I think you're right in that you're missing out on a lot of how he came to grips with that. It wasn't just a passing on, but Sam actually had to go through a lot of experiences and processes, you know, not just for himself, but what it means for an African-American to take on that mantle with the history that America's had with, um, you know, with white supremacy and with, um, and with how people of color have been treated in the country and things like that. And so it's a very powerful story. Um, but I don't think that, I, I honestly don't think that they're going to have to really watch it with Captain America four coming out, but it'll be interesting to see. I I don't know for sure. That's just assuming that they're going to, you know, not tie it into the show necessarily, but that that's my thought on that. Yeah. I, I hear what both of you guys are saying because I think what's been really wonderful about these Disney plus shows and using that example with Sam's character here is the way that it does allow us to like zoom into a particular moment. Right. So you know, for any fan who maybe goes to see the Captain America 4 movie and last time they saw Sam Wilson was in Endgame, maybe they can kind of put the pieces together about what may have happened in between. But that opportunity that we were given to really zoom in and look at that micro level story and see what that meant for him, I think is just so, so powerful that we got that. And I feel similarly with some of the other characters who've been spotlighted on the shows as well. Right. Disney Plus also brought us the Assembled specials. What do you guys think of those? Have you been watching those as they come out? I, I've i watched, I have a couple that I need to catch up on, but I've really, I've liked them. I've liked just like the way that they've been done and kind of that additional information that we get. And it's just fun to watch the process as well. So with the, I, I actually haven't been watching those. And uh, for whatever reason, I just haven't got around to those. Um, but I, I definitely want to because it, it's, I've heard great things about them and everything. And I think I just have a hard time like getting into like the behind the scenes stuff mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Oh, um, I love them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I watch I, them for fun. <laughs> I know. Well, and, and you know, sometimes I do. I, I think it's just more of um, because I have so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Like on my list that I need to watch. Sure. I don't, don't get me wrong. I love the behind the scenes stuff, but I also feel like if I have other like shows that I want to watch or need to watch for whatever reason, those usually takes precedence because of the stories that's being told. But I love the behind the scenes stuff. I just haven't had time to really dive into that. And I think those always get into the back burner because of that. And it's not because I don't want to necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, making the time for it. But I'm, I'm probably going to start watching them now. Now <laughs> we've okay, been talking okay. about if, it. <laughs> if you, let's say you only have time to watch two of them. I would say watch the one for WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier because, okay. I mean, for, like, first of all, just like WandaVision purely because of how the episodes were done all in different time periods. It's just right. really fun to see. Right. Uh, like the earlier ones for like the fifties and stuff, mm-hmm. how they the did that. Studio is just, audience. Yeah. Oh my God. The live studio audience. Amazing. <laughs> and just like the whole, all like all the costuming and all of the practical effects that they did for it is so fun to watch. And the music. Mm-hmm. And then for Falcon. Oh my God. The music. Yeah. They show them right about that. It's, it's very but cool. For Falcon yeah. and the Winter Soldier, purely for the dynamic between Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie. It's so funny. <laughs> it's, a comedy essentially so if you want a good laugh definitely watch that one 
All right. I, I'm, I'm definitely going to watch it now. Now that we're talking about it, I'm going to make this a priority now. So yes. I, and I will follow up with both of you to let you know I watch it, what I thought about Good. it. So. Please do. Yeah, they're, they're really quite effective the way that they're done because there's, there's almost a, a bit of a narrative to them. It, do, it doesn't just even feel like disconnected clips of behind the scenes. There's, there's this way, the way it's edited, it's telling a story. And mm-hmm. like, I thought the Black Widow one was really powerful because it starts off with Scarlett Johansson's camera test for Iron Man 2 and then it kind mm-hmm. of jumps to these you know conversations you know talking head interviews with her over the years and then the Loki one is narrated by Tom Hiddleston and he talks about time and you know in his beautiful British Shakespearean voice so they're 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 very cool I'm, I'm very much looking forward to to the Hawkeye one too so um so yeah there it, it's just another example of something that the Disney plus format has afforded for us are these behind the scenes specials. Yeah. So I, this kind of leads me to a question that I've been thinking about, which I don't know if it's a, if it's provocative or, or not, but was 2021 the best year for the MCU? Honestly, I, I I've got to say yes, just because this is the first year where they've had like so many projects in one year because of the Disney plus series. Right. I mean, they, they had like a, a total of nine projects. So that's almost like one every five or six weeks. Whereas before we get like three, maybe four movies a year, depending on what's happening that year and, and things true. like that. That's like three years in one yeah. year, right? essentially. Yeah. So I think 2021 is going to be the best year yet, but I think they're going to keep that momentum going with continuing all the shows and the movies. Um, but I think 2021 is a milestone with the Disney Plus series because we're going to get so much content coming out from the MCU that everybody's just going to be loving it. And, and they and and we don't have to wait so long between movies to get more stories coming out from them, because once a movie wraps up, there's a show that's going to be coming out or a show that's also finishing up as well, too. Right. So, Ellie, if you're not confident that it's the best year for the MCU, what are the other years that might be in the conversation for you? Hmm. I th- I feel like the runner. Oh man. I I want to say like 2018 with Infinity War. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because I would. That's like another year that definitely sticks out for me. Because I mean, I gotta say like 2021 was the best year. Like it's. I feel like it's like kind of difficult to say otherwise. But 2018 mm-hmm. with Infinity War, that was everything coming together. Like again, like that entire story was starting with Iron Man. Mm-hmm. That was like 10 years of movies all together. And we had all of our heroes coming together from, you know, we pe- characters we never thought would interact with one another mm-hmm. were in one movie. Yeah. And then, and the movie ends and we lose half of them over half of them. Mm-hmm. Like what a that was a wild year, and also like I I mean I gotta say that year we also got Black Panther, which is also yeah. a, one of my favorites when it mm-hmm. comes to the MCU movies. So it's like that's another really great year that sticks out to me. Mm-hmm. I I agree completely. Like and I'll say this: I love Infinity War much more than Endgame for that me same too. reason, Ellie, because. I never had a movie that made me feel like that at the end of it, where it's just like, oh my gosh, like this is what it must feel like to feel almost, you know, sad about the fact that the 
the superheroes didn't want in the end. Right. And, and, you know, they're going to do an end game, but like, I just remember thinking like, this is just kind of like a terrible feeling to have. <laughs> I but, felt empty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I was just like, if, a, if a comic book movie can make me feel like that, I feel like that's a powerful movie because we always get that, you know, they always end up winning at the end and maybe there's some loss along the way and things like that. But for it to accumulate to this point where it ends with it, with that, sort of feeling as you're walking away. I'm like, that's, that's a very powerful movie to be able to do that. But just like what you said, we also have black Panther that came out, um, Thor Ragnarok, and then Ant-Man the Wasp came out as well too. And, and I think all of those were just really great movies to kind of come out in 2018. So I agree with you is that if we took 2021 out, I, I would say the same year as well. Yeah. I think there's something uh, fitting to, to consider the 10 year mark and everything that Infinity War did with that. And the only other year that I, I had in my mind, because 2021 would be would be my pick so far, as you said, and partially just from a bias point of view, because this was my first year as a podcast host with new content being released. <laughs> so right? every new release was coupled not just with my regular fan excitement, but being excited to talk about people with it on the show and this and that. But uh, 2014 was Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy. So in terms of the amount mm. that was released, that's only two projects there compared with what we have this year. But those two were certainly really big turning points that I think are important for the MCU. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, just Guardians introducing a, a brand new cast of characters that people weren't really familiar with. And yeah. the way that that brought the MCU, MCU in new directions and then as well as Winter Soldier, which is still always considered among among the best that they've ever done but um right yeah i almost want to give special mention to 2016 with civil war (laughs) (laughs) because that caused so much division between fans to this day it causes division and i'm like oh my gosh like who would have thought that it would have been that impactful oh yeah i still like remember the marketing when that movie was coming out it was brilliant it was like this is a really great way to market this movie. Dividing the fans before the movie comes out. <laughs> Good job. So now I'm curious if you guys are, are Team Stark or Team Cap. We've had this conversation before. Yeah. yeah I actually Sean, came on Ellie's Sean, show. Yeah, you know what team I'm on. You're very happy about it. Yeah. 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 Uh, team uh, Captain America. So. That's right. Yeah, that's right. All right. Across the board. Me too. So you guys can say, <laughs> okay, good. No division here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I've, I've, uh, I've gotten the perspective of team Tony Stark people onto the podcast before, and that's valuable to hear, to hear from them too, but secretly mm-hmm. we're the best. Another thing to me that does stand out about the newer installments of the MCU, looking at 2021 specifically, is the way in which it seems like they are reimagining villains in a certain way. And I know that for a long time, there there was a lot of conversation about the MCU not really having the best villains. And then I think Thanos obviously was incredible. And I think across the board is considered to be an awesome villain. Killmonger is considered by many to be right up there as well. And it, so it seems like in more recent years, the MCU has had some of these stronger villains, but those are definitely, those are villains that you can point to. And even though Killmonger has his, has people who, um, you know, really appreciate the, the points that he's making and say, oh, you know, the way he's going about it is not the best, but we can see his ideas. He's still clearly like a villain in that film, right? And he gets 
punished by the narrative at the end of that film. I feel like what mm-hmm. we're moving into in 2021 is a bit more of a territory of conceptual villainy in a little bit of a way. And like like taking Wen Wu, for example, in Shang-Chi or taking even, for example, Dracov in Black Widow, who he himself is not necessarily like a super exciting villain to deal with right like everybody got excited about taskmaster because of who that character is in the comics and the costuming and that 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 looks like your comic book villain but then taskmaster wasn't actually the villain in the film so i think that they're subverting a little bit some of our expectations around villains and that also kind of leads me into thinking about some of the more conceptual ideas or themes that tie this year's installments together because I always do the there was an idea about. So in the MCU in 2021, what was there an idea about? Are there any larger themes or ideas that stick out to you guys? Ooh, I feel like something I really noticed, especially across the TV shows that we got and as, as well, like some of the movies, some of the things that really stuck like stuck out to me were things like sacrifice, grief. And loss. It's been an emotional year to say the least, but Mm -hmm. those like themes stuck out a lot, especially when you look at them specific to a lot of the characters and like even um, I would say acceptance because depending on which character you're looking at, they had some, they needed to accept something about their lives. Sure. For like Wanda, it was like, you know, losing vision for Sam. It is accepting that he deserves to be Captain America. Uh, even like with Bucky, like accepting that he is no longer the winter soldier and he can leave that behind and move forward in life as himself. Uh, with Peter, he made a massive sacrifice in no way home. He faced a lot of loss in his movies. And then I feel like, even like the Eternals, our characters, they went through a lot. There were sacrifices made. They, yeah. they all lost something. They all had to make some form of acceptance. And even with like Shang-Chi and Loki, like those were themes that were very clear and were different depending on what their character was going through. I agree with Ellie completely on that. And I think my themes that I was thinking uh, coincides with that um, because Ellie's talking about sacrifice for me, I saw for a lot, if not all of the shows and movies that they dealt with trauma some level, right? So like mm-hmm. we talked about WandaVision with her coping with losing vision and then, um, you know, Sam Wilson and what it means to pick up the mantle and um, Bucky having to, you know, come to terms with, you know, what he did as the Winter Soldier and trying to make amends for those kinds of things. And we, and we can kind of go through each of the show and movies and do that. And I think that was a, a very common theme, which makes a lot of sense because we just got out of a phase where, you know, half of the universe got wiped away and then they were just brought back. Yeah. And you saw there was some sort of coping going on with that in all the movies and all the shows and everything. And there was just a lot of trauma that people had to go through on some level, whether it's, you know, on a grand level or if it's a personal level, um, you know, like what we saw with Hawkeye and, you know, him losing his family and becoming Ronin and then, you know, what that means now and everything. Um, but, you know, on the flip side, it's also 
having hope with being able to move forward, like what Ellie was saying is, you know, being able to come to some sort of acceptance and then have hope that things are going to turn out right at the end, especially with, you know, coming off the heels of Endgame that, you know, if we can bring half the population back, then, you know, there's always going to be some sort of hope in that regard. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I've always been interested in comic book stories, superhero stories, specifically the MCU as identity stories that examine what it means to be a hero and examine this idea that it's choices that determine who we are. And sometimes the way we see ourselves is different than the way the world expects us to be. And I think that these ideas of trauma and grief and acceptance and sacrifice that you both are speaking to is a big part of that for our characters in their identity arcs this year. It was a year in many ways of characters coming face to face with themselves. And yes, metaphorically, but also sometimes literally, which I thought was great. Like Loki coming face to face with variants of himself and learning to love himself as manifested in his having a somewhat romantic connection to Sylvie, a variant of himself, right? Or seeing in the character of classic Loki, a version of what his future might be, confronting that question of like, can a Loki change? Um, Mm -hmm. Spider-Man, right? Peter Parker (laughs) coming face to face with other other people who know what it means to be Spider-Man, who know what it means to be a version of Peter Parker. And in more metaphorical ways, like you said, Clint coming face to face with the legacy of both Hawkeye, the Avenger, and Ronan. Shang-Chi having to accept, as you were saying, um, Ellie, this, this, uh, these competing influences of his mother and father, right? Coming face to face with himself in that way. And so that to me has been something that has been really interesting to see. And it makes me feel like Going back to this question of is 2021 the, sh- the strongest year, I think in seeing these thematic connections across all of the installments, that makes me feel really satisfied as a viewer. And it makes me feel like, as you were saying earlier too, Ellie, like thinking about where they might be going ahead in the next 10 years, I'm really excited to see how these themes continue to develop. Okay, so now we're going to talk about some of our personal favorites from the year and do a round robin style superlatives section. So we are going to start with the exercise that I think every podcaster or or people in fandom are doing at the end of 2021, beginning of 2022, which is looking back and ranking the installments that came out. And I have a mixed relationship with ranking. Every time I do it, I feel somewhat guilty or weird about it, but I also think it's really enjoyable and challenging and fun. So I'm not going to attempt for myself to rank all nine installments mixed together. I divided it into Disney Plus series and movies, beginning with the Disney Plus series. Ellie, five through one, how would you rank them? Let me just say, this was so hard to do. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I really struggled. All right. But starting at number five, I put what if. Also, I feel like I have to say I did like all of these shows. So for me, it's right. like which to it, yeah. most love to least like or sure. whatever order you want to go in. So yeah, what if then in fourth, I put Loki, Falcon and the Winter Soldier in third, Hawkeye in second, and WandaVision in first. Love it. Yeah, I and I got to agree. Like ranking is really hard. And for me, I try not to rank things because for me, <laughs> ranking always implies like something if it's at the bottom, 
it was a bad film or series, and that's not necessarily the case at all, you know, but it's just uh, not my most loved one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> uh, for me, it's actually uh, five and four is the same as LA. What if was um, at number five for me in terms of uh, least favorite? It, it was a really good show. Um, cinematically and everything it just it didn't mesh with me but doesn't mean it's you know it's a bad show right and then the loki is fourth um wandavision is third the falcon and winter soldier is second and hawkeye is first i knew hawkeye would be first for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think anyone's surprised by yeah. that <laughs> and my list is also quite similar to Ellie's, I think we just have two flipped. So I have What If at fifth. And again, I also did like What If. It just wasn't my favorite. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier at four. Loki at three. Hawkeye at two. And WandaVision at one. So it gives us a little bit of a sense of uh, where we have some personal favorites that emerge from that, that diverge a little bit from each other, which is good. It'll make for some more variety when we talk about some of our superlatives here today. And then when it comes to movies, I'll start on this one. Same caveat that you guys have been giving the movie I have at number four, I did really like, and it's Eternals. So this is not a Eternals was trash take at all. I think if people have heard the episodes that I've talked about Eternals, I did really enjoy so much of what that movie offered. It just happens to be my least favorite of the year, least loved of the year. And <laughs> at three, I have Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which again feels like, oh no, is that the bottom 50%? Like, no, both Shang-Chi and Eternals are in my top 10 movies of all movies that came out in 2021. I really love Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, but I just really love Black Widow a little bit more <laughs> at number two. <laughs> and <laughs> I really love Spider-Man No Way Home a little bit more than that at number one. So Sean, how would you rank the movies? Well, you're a huge Black Widow fan. Uh, I'm sorry, Black Widow fan as well too, yes, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So for me, um, Fourth in fourth place would be Black Widow. Um, again, it was a good movie, but I think there's for me, it was like it was a too little too late. Like, I, I felt like they treated it as an afterthought as opposed to like being intentional. And so I was kind of disappointed with how it was treated. But with that said, like, I really enjoyed the story with everything. Um, third place is Eternals, and I'm on the fence about which one's first place for me because. I feel like they're, they're tied for two different reasons. And I feel like if you take one of the reasons out, then it changes everything. But um, it, it's tied between Sung-Chi and Spider-Man. And the reason for that is, is Kevin and I talked about this on our um, podcast, actually, is that Spider-Man is a great film. But if you take out all the history behind it, um, I don't know if it would do as well as Sung-Chi. You know, like if, mm -hmm. if these were like the first time that we saw, you know, Peter Parker two and three and all the other villains, like would it have that same like level of impact if if um, if they were like different characters or different actors or things like that. And so I, I, I'm still on the fence and I think Spider-Man will still be uh, number one for me and then Sung-Chi second for that. But I think if you took that element out, it would definitely flip for me. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point that there's something to spider-man even for myself like why i rank it as number one 
is because mm-hmm. it's a little bit of that Infinity War endgame effect of like, wow, so much has led to this. This feels like the culmination of 20 years of seeing Spider-Man on screen. So it feels almost a little bit more like that event factor as opposed to like self-contained film. You, you know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Yep. I agree. So what about you, Ellie? Uh, in fourth, I have Eternals. I do love, I love that movie. But yeah, fourth is Eternals. In third, I have Black Widow. In second, Shang-Chi. And of course, in first, I have Spider-Man No Way Home. (laughs) That movie has my whole heart. (laughs) Yeah, I can tell. (laughs) I'm excited to hear you talk more about it as we share some of our other favorites of the year. And specifically now, if we are, so we both, we all have a favorite movie and a favorite series But Mm -hmm. what it comes down to then in terms of our favorite installment overall is which one is going to edge the other out. So, Ellie, which one is it for you? Do I even have to say it? So tell us why. (laughs) Spider-Man. But, uh, I mean, Spider-Man has been one of my favorite superheroes since I was a child. And he continues to be one of my absolute favorites probably forever. Like I have so much love for this character. I have been overjoyed that I've got to experience this character in so many different ways growing up. And then especially looking at like no way home, like this movie was a massive event for so many different reasons. It's like, Mm -hmm. not only was it like a continuation of, you know, Tom Peters story, but we got, Toby and Andrew back and Andrew is one of my absolute favorites, but like, like live action Spider-Man's that we've Mm -hmm. ever had. And I'm one of the many who's been like heartbroken that we never got the amazing Spider-Man three and overjoyed that there's petitions and hope that he will finally get his third movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, not only is Andrew Garfield is a phenomenal actor. I think he's definitely one of my favorites. But mm-hmm. having him in this movie and just the way that we got to see the growth his character has gone through was so amazing. And then seeing these villains again and seeing their struggles and just the entire storyline, it had so much heart to it. And as well, it just completely redefined the MCU Peter Parker Spider-Man storyline. It was a breath of fresh air, like moving forward. You have no idea what this character is going to go through. What he essentially got was like a restart. Yeah. At the end of this movie. And it's just all of that, like coming together. It's so difficult for me to not say like, it's my absolute favorite, like of 2021 and in just in general. So the question then is, Sean, is it also your favorite of the year or do you have a special place in your heart for Hawkeye? Yeah, I, you know, me personally, it, it's going to be Hawkeye. And, um, you know, I, and I agree with everything with what Ellie said. And, and I love Spider-Man No Way Home as a film. Um, for me, Hawkeye more personally has a lot more, or I'll say it this way, Hawkeye has a lot more um, special meaning for me personally for a number of reasons is one, this is not the first time that we've been introduced to um, hearing loss and, and death because we actually got that with Makari in, in Eternals. 
Um, but this was a strong point of, of the storyline in the series. And, you know, as someone who grew up and was actually born with hearing loss and grew up with hearing aids, it was really neat to see that being shown on screen with a superhero. And not only did we have Clint being hard of hearing with a hearing aid, but we also had uh, Maya Lopez, who's a deaf character and is also Native American. And um, what I love is the actress herself actually is an amputee and that's not part of the um, mm-hmm. character's, um, you know, uh, it's not part of the character's trait for lack of a better word. Um, but they wrote it in there. And I love the fact that, you know, instead of like trying to covering it up, they actually made that as part of the identity of that character. And I just absolutely love that. So we got a lot of representation from a lot of different, uh, different areas in terms of the hearing loss and deaf and deaf community, Native American and um, amputees. And um, we also got, you know, Kingpin coming back into the show. Um, I think it was a really powerful story overall because it's one that Clint Barton as a character in, in the MCU was kind of the butt of all jokes. In fact, I mean, Jeremy Renner, when he was on Saturday Night Live, they made fun of yeah. his character basically, right? And, and I, it's hysterical and he uh, owns up to it really well. Um, but I love what this show, like it's pretty much now you know, everybody really loves him as a character. Whereas before, you know, he wasn't up there as much as Iron Man or Hulk or uh, Captain America or, or any of them. And now, you know, he's, he's more on that same level of people love him as a character. And, and the fact that this series is based on one of my favorite comic runs that I ran into a couple of years ago with the, you know, comic run with the same name Hawkeye that was written by Matt Fraction and was illustrated by David Aha and colored by Matt Hollingsworth. It took a lot of inspiration from that story. And I just love Clint Barton and Kate Bishop in that comic run. And I think that Haley Steinfeld did a great job as Kate Bishop in the show and, and really hope to see her in a lot more projects in the MCU too. So. So you two just spoke to Spider-Man and Hawkeye. And as much as I agree with everything that you guys said about the values <laughs> of those installments in the MCU this year, and even just hearing you talk about them and the enthusiasm that that both of you have for them and, and how they depicted characters who have long been your favorites or seeing actors come back or seeing representation in, in these installments, just it, it makes me so excited about what the MCU is and, and how much it really has to offer so many of us as fans. My overall favorite installment is going to be WandaVision. And I think mm-hmm. similar to you, Sean, I have... I think there was a personal connection for me with that series that not only was it the the first installment in 2021, and so for me, podcasting about the MCU was the first new bit of content, so I really immersed myself in it, but it felt very timely as a fan. You mentioned earlier the timeliness of Disney Plus during the pandemic, right? Kind of allowing people mm-hmm. to engage with the MCU without necessarily having to go out to the theater. And the week-to-week mm-hmm. release of WandaVision was just so much fun, the way in which it got the community of people online and in podcasting together and talking and speculating about what was happening uh, what was happening in the show and what might be coming next. And it also, you know, in many ways, superhero stories always kind of reflect the zeitgeist of the times. And I loved the, watching the ways in which WandaVision resonated across generations and thinking about our own moment as a worldwide society um, 
dealing with traumas created by the pandemic and escaping into the world of TV and the way the show played with that metaphor in the characters dealing with their own trauma because of the blip. I, I just thought it was so timely and really feels, I think I'll always kind of look back on that as a really unique and special moment in time, uh, you know, experiencing this show being rolled out on Disney plus. And then on top of that, I've, I've spoken so much before about how much I loved the way it married the story and the storytelling, right. And the clues about the stories and about the story and the characters being hidden within the genre decisions so I, and on top of that, I, I think Ellie was speaking to this earlier, the way in which it brought us closer to Wanda and Vision, who were not necessarily the most fan favorite characters, but really put a spotlight on them. We could see just how much Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany could do in terms of their acting and allowed them to play in this really fun space of the different decades and the music, but mm-hmm. then also it recontextualizes some of what came before in the MCU. And now you can go back and look at Age of Ultron or Civil War and just have more of the story fleshed out. So that's why for me, WandaVision is my is my number one, number one favorite. I gotta say cinematography, WandaVision is outstanding because of all those things that they've been able to do with bringing in the decades of television. And yeah. and even I love the fact that when you got to the 50s and 60s, it was in that square aspect ratio. Yes. Until we got to like episode three or four. And I love the fact like they've thought about these things in terms of everything as a viewer. And and I, I agree completely like WandaVision is just, is just fantastic for a lot of reasons. But for me, it's always going to be that cinematography part of it, of, of how they handle that. And with, you know, such great innovation and, and, uh, creativity so you'll definitely like the behind the scenes special (laughs) (laughs) i know i need to watch it now i really do i'm I'm probably going to watch it tonight now (laughs) awesome (laughs) so our next category for superlatives is rookie of the year or in other words our favorite new character introduced in 2021 and ellie you were saying earlier that this year brought us a lot of really awesome new characters who is your pick this was so tough (laughs) <laughs> because there were so many amazing characters. Right. And I I gotta say, it's Elena for me. <laughs> I I love her. I loved her in Black Widow so much. I, I had to take a moment because I was like, do I really love the character or do I just love Florence Pugh? And I'm like, <laughs> probably both. It's probably both. Yeah. Um, because I do love Florence. But oh my gosh, I love her character and just like her personality and her sense of humor, but also just kind of like seeing the journey her character's gone on. And we saw such like a vulnerable emotional side of her in Black Widow. And it was amazing to kind of get that introduction to her. And then Mm -hmm. her appearing in Hawkeye, amazing. Like she had so many incredible moments with Kate. And then she had such emotional moments with Clint. And- Mm -hmm. I just, I love her so much. And I feel, I was talking to my friend earlier today and I was like, I feel like I'm, I have a bit of Yelena in me. (laughs) I feel like (laughs) some of my personality is definitely reflective of her character. And I'm like, maybe that's why I like love her so much. You love that. I I would, I, (laughs) funny enough, I literally made some today and I added hot sauce in. (laughs) There you go. So maybe I am her. (laughs) (laughs) Yelena is my pick as well so 
and I don't have much more to add, uh, Ellie, other than the fact, yes, Florence Pugh is an incredibly talented and charismatic, charismatic actress. The introduction in Black Widow was showed both sides of her acting chops being incredibly emotional, poignant, but also being super funny. And then Hawkeye was just the, the icing on the cake to see her come back and, and even to flesh out her story a little bit more. And, and even in only being in a couple episodes of Hawkeye, we got to see some of that arc of what, uh, what she would have experienced being blipped and finding out about her sister's death and all of that. So she's my pick. Sean, do you have another choice? So I, I've been going back and forth on these two, cause I don't know which one, I want to go with because <laughs> I love them both for a lot of different reasons, but I think I'm going to go with, um, Sung Chi actually. Yes. That was my second choice. actually. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Same here. Yeah, it, and, and I'll say the, the other person I've been kind of tearing back and forth is, is Kate Bishop. Um, and, and the reason why I'm not going with Kate Bishop is that I think they did a great job with Sung Chi's character development in his movie and, and Kate Bishop, like as much as I love her and I love, Haley Steinfeld playing here. I still have a couple of things I didn't like about her character as much. And so I think that's why I'm, I'm going with Shang-Chi is, is for that reason. And I, I think, you know, seemingly you, I I've never heard of him until this movie. And now like, he's one of my favorite people. I love watching him in and, and he has done such a great job with the character and presenting him on screen. And what I love about the character uh, himself is that he is like, you know, Black Widow and Hawkeye, where he doesn't have any superpowers outside the 10 rings that he has now, but he is, you know, the world's deadliest uh, martial arts, uh, martial artist, I think is, is his tagline. Right. And um, I think he just does a great job of being able to present that to the world as a character that again, had probably a little bit of following, but not as popular as some of the other ones. But now, you know, it was just a fantastic movie. And that was one of the ones that my son loved watching it over and over again because he loved seeing, you know, all the martial arts. He loved seeing all the characters and loved seeing all the um, visual effects and um, all the fighting and things like that. But with Sung chi uh, story, it, it's, it's just phenomenal to kind of see like where his backstory is at and where he's at and where he's moving forward. And I think he's going to have a little bit of kind of a, a hot guy type of um, trauma that he's going to deal with because of, you know, him growing up being trained as an assassin and, um, and probably having to deal with, you know, all the family drama that he's had with, uh, with his dad and with his sister and everything. And so I, I think Shang-Chi is, is going to be a character that we're going to see a lot more of in the MCU. And I think it's going to be fantastic. So. What a wonderful new character to be introduced this year uh, in Shang-Chi and in Simu Liu as an actor into the world of the MCU. Have you watched Kim's Convenience? Oh my gosh, I watched it because of Shang-Chi and I was like, I why have I not heard this show before? Like, this is a fantastic. It's I really love good. that show, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, oh yeah, I, it's, it is hysterical. So moving on, the next category is best quote, which was much harder than I thought it was going to be because I wasn't sure if I was going to go with something I found to be poignant and thematic or something I was that was just funny or fun. So what direction did you go in, Ellie? Do you have a favorite quote from this year? I have two, I guess. I th this was so, so difficult because I was like, there were so many amazing lines that we got. 
but I kind of went with the two that have stuck with me the most. And I'd say the first one is what is grief if not love persevering? <laughs> well, what a line, yep. what a line and what an emotional episode that was of WandaVision too. But that line has always stuck with me. And uh, it's definitely, I think one of my like top favorite lines we've gotten like throughout all of the MCU movies. And then my next favorite, I had to, it's such an important, important line for our boy Peter to hear with great power. There must also come great responsibility. (laughs) This is so crucial to like the character of Spider-Man. We have heard him hear this with every live action movie. It is, something he needs to hear to understand what comes with his abilities mm-hmm. and the incredibly emotional moment where aunt may gives him this line, which by the way, I love that it was aunt may mm-hmm. who was telling me this because we've seen their connection yeah, and we've seen their bond through out these movies. And, you know, people have always said like, Oh, like, Tony Stark was his Uncle Ben, like that Uncle Ben moment. But what really comes with, you know, that quote unquote moment is this line. This is the true moment for this character to understand and grasp how important his skills are and what he can do with them. So it was like this line, of course, sticks out. It's so important to his character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um I got to say you took the line for me as well with the best quote is what is grief if not love persevering? Cause I think that one had of all the quotes in the MCU this year had the most powerful and impactful moment of any scene. I think of with just that one line, because it was just multi-layered with a lot of different emotions and meaning, right? Because that was a moment where she was grieving the loss of her brother it just felt so alone because now she doesn't have anybody from her family. And that was a moment where you see that she starts to get a little bit hope, but then even start falling in love with vision. And I, I think it's just a, a very powerful quote in and of itself. Even if you take out of MCU, I think it's, you know, it's very insightful and deep, especially for, you know, an Android, right. That's still kind of trying to figure out its own meaning. It's kind of like data from star Trek, right? It's just, like, you know, what's my purpose and identity as an Android? Like, I'm not human, but I'm much more than a robot type of thing. And so I think, you know, it, it also adds to that layer of how he sets up the context of he's never experienced grief because he's always been alone. And so he's never had the, I think he says he's never had the lack, but for him to come up with that understanding is also just a very powerful moment. So I, I just love that line because there was just so much wrapped into that scene that was just a very powerful moving um, for Wanda and that character that I'm really hard pressed to see that have the same amount of multifaceted you know, layers. And, and I know great power comes with great responsibilities, definitely similar to that on, on some level. I, I think for me, it's just like, like, I, I think we get it. <laughs> you know, we, we've seen it in, in three different, like, you know, so it's like, we kind of saw it coming and, and it's just like you said, he definitely part of that, of his identity. But I think with this quote, I just absolutely love it because of all the things that kind of surrounds it. And, and, and it's just so great. I, yeah. So that, that is mine as well. 
both great picks and I did not choose the what is grief line, but I am going to talk about it later. So I, I'm cheating a little bit because I'm going to bring it up in one of my other responses. I was thinking about, well, I was thinking about picking Yelena saying, Rudolph, he's so weird. Um, but, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> um, but I, I, I went with the more conceptual, with the more thematic. Uh, so I didn't go straight emotion. I didn't go straight funny. They're one of my favorite lines in the entire in the entirety of the MCU has always been Loki's burdened with glorious purpose line because it just <laughs> evokes so much. And we get a lot of rep reprisal of that idea in the Loki show. But we also get a another really, I think, cool turn of phrase from Loki in episode one, uh, which is the phrase, the cruel elaborate trick. And he first mentions it mm -hmm. when he is talking with Mobius and Mobius is asking him what makes Loki tick and Loki's just like, no, I know what you're doing here. I know what this all is. It's an illusion. It's a cruel, elaborate trick conjured by the weak to inspire fear. It's a desperate attempt at control. And then later on at the end of the episode, after he's, you know, kind of confronted some of what he has done, uh, he, he says to Mobius, I don't enjoy hurting people. I do it because I have to, because I've had to. And he says, because it's part of the illusion, it's a cruel, elaborate trick conjured by the weak to inspire fear. So I liked that um, in, in episode one of Loki. I like what that did in terms of setting up the Loki series. And again, I think it's just like a cool, cool turn of phrase coming from my guy Loki and uh, wanted to, to give a shout out to that line here. Yeah, that's a great quote. I like that. I love honestly any Loki line. <laughs> they're always so really good. good. Like they are, yeah. They really gave it the most when it came to the writing for that. And it's always just Tom's delivery yes, of absolutely. lines as well that just mm -hmm. make it amazing. No one can give the Loki lines like Tom Hiddleston. One hundred percent elevates it to the next level. Yeah. Oh, well, and I, and I gotta say that the burden with glorious purpose is pretty much embodies the character of who Loki is very you know, it's like that catchphrase with, you know, Captain America. Everyone knows that, he, you know, he says Avengers assemble. I feel like this is going to be Loki because it just describes who he is as a person with that kind of, you know, arrogance that comes yep. with it as well too. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. All right. Next category is best musical score. Uh, Sean, we'll start with you this time. Um, so for me, it's actually, I mean, it's no surprise that it's Hawkeye. Um, <laughs> so good. But what I really yeah. like what they did with the score is they were very, um, very subtle in some ways, but in other ways they were really obvious. And I think it elevated the presence in the story a lot with how they used it is anytime that he's talking about Natasha Romanoff, you hear the Vormir music playing in the background. That just hurt me, honestly. <laughs> was, every single time it, I heard it. I know. But but I mean, it, it's such a great way to tie in that memory and that emotion to help uh, elevate that emotion for the audience as well, too. Because you know, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Because you know what that music means from Infinity War and Endgame. And so it evokes that whole idea of Clint still living with that memory of losing Nat and still dealing with that sort of thing. And 
And, you know, he did it. They used that score again when Kate fell over the cliff and, or the rooftop. And you saw Clamp thinking like, you know, it's happening all over again. And as he's hanging there, you hear that music subtly playing underneath. And, and they do it in a couple other places as well, too, where um, it, they don't play like the whole score, but they'll play a snippet. I, I forget the musical term for it, but they play a section of it when Natasha is being discussed or is kind of the focus uh, focal point of the story there. And I thought they just did a great job of incorporating that and that it just elevated that much more. This is really tough. I really liked Falcon and the winter soldier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially um, whenever we got any sort of element of like the winter soldier's theme. God, I love the winter soldier theme. It's so good. But, uh, God, again, No Way Home with, uh, I think his name is Michael Giacchino. Because he he's done the score for um, the other Spider-Man movies as well. Mm-hmm. And I love them. And one of, my, one of my favorite elements is that, especially when it's specific to, like, Peter's character, it definitely has that, like, youthful element and energy to it which i really really love but Mm. it's also just like an emotional standpoint as well i love movies and music and Mm. i always think about them and like i always connect really deeply with the music again which is why i always got so emotional whenever we heard the vormir theme play (laughs) the same thing happens with the score like it's so difficult for me to listen to it because I keep thinking about those like really like heartbreaking moments from this movie Mm -hmm. when I listen to them. And I feel like that just says a lot about the composer who's able to kind of like evoke those emotions. I just love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there are so many good examples of this in the MCU and in this year alone, I would be remiss if I did not give an honorable mention to the score done for Loki by the composer Natalie Holt, because friend of the podcast, Daniel, is a huge, huge fan of that score. It's his favorite. And if I don't mention it, I think he would be very upset. It's not my <laughs> it's not my number one pick, um, but I, I do have to mention it's fantastic. Uh, I I've talked a lot before about how much I love the Black Widow movie. Part of the reason I think why it resonates with me so much is the use of music in that film. It was composed, the score was composed by a composer named Lorne Balfe. And he's talked about how he took inspiration from Russian folk music and Russian poetry in, uh, in scoring the film and really dug into Natasha's character and what her heritage w- would have been like growing up in Russia. And there's such a... Um, there's such a sadness to some of the music used in Black Widow. And in the Hawkeyes show, they reprised some of it as well in the scenes with Yelena. And it just really speaks to me. So that's my that's my number one pick. And on the topic of music, in addition to scores, we've also had some really great soundtrack moments. So what is your pick for best needle drop in the MCU this year? Ellie. This is really tough. I literally have four. Three, three. I narrowed it down to like three songs okay. that really stuck out <laughs> to me. Um, American Pie, um, especially when we got that like emotional kind of heart and what it meant, what that kind of song like meant to Elena. It mm-hmm. even made it even more my favorite. Uh, next up, Hotel California. From- <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, that is a good one. <laughs> I, I feel like 
whenever I think of that song, I will never not think about Katie singing mm-hmm. it, just belting it out. <laughs> and I'm like, great, you know what? It is a great distraction um, tactic. And then <laughs> lastly, I'm going to say the magic number, which played at the end of during the first bit of the credits for um, No Way Home. Nice. Purely mm-hmm. because I don't remember it. Be, which is which sounds bizarre, but <laughs> I was in such a horrible state by the end of the movie, both times that I watched it in theaters, that I think I blacked out during the credits. <laughs> and I I truly do not remember this song playing during the credits. And it's only because of TikTok <laughs> that I know this is the song that played during the credits. That's so funny. And I was like. It's a really great song. It is. But then I think about how the movie ends and I'm like, it's like crying and being like, it's a really great song, guys. It's really good. So I feel like I definitely have to give a special mention to that one. I'll go next on this one because my number one pick is American Pie and Black Widow when it's playing uh, the radio at little Yelena's request when the family is driving in the car away from their home and Natasha's looking out the window with all of the scenes of Americana and then the reprisal later in the in the movie with Alexi and Yelena singing it together. I've gushed about this moment on my Black Widow episode as well as in my favorite needle drops in the MCU episode. So you can check those out to hear me talk more about why I love the use of American Pie and Black Widow more. Um, so that's definitely my number one. But I, my honorable mentions would include a track by Depeche Mode called Christmas Island, which is played at the end of episode two of Hawkeye when we first see Maya. And it's kind of like bumping from the the speakers and then it plays into the credits, mm-hmm. which I, I, I'm a fan of Depeche Mode. Uh, certainly, I, I guess I didn't know all of their deep cuts because I wasn't familiar with this song and I thought it was just really cool and, and fit that moment really well. And then my other honorable mention would be the use of Pink Floyd's time in Eternals. Oh, that was really good, actually. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. When it started playing the first the first time I saw the movie and Cersei's like giving the the artifact to the little kid and you hear like those first few notes of the song, I was like, wait, this they're not gonna play this song over the Marvel title card, are they? And then they did, and I was like, damn, that's cool. That was it was cool. And it speaks thematically to the movie. So I liked that a lot. But what's your pick, Sean? Definitely. Um, I don't think it's any surprise, but I love how they incorporated the Christmas music into Hawkeye. Yeah. Very well. Like, so my, my favorite is the uh, getaway scene where they use a nutcracker yes. uh, score, you know, to, and and they did it so well and that it wasn't just filler music, but they timed it perfectly to kind of go with the orchestra um, music with the tempo and, and, and everything that went with it. And then they did a great job of picking, you know, your mean one, Mr. Grinch for the end of episode five, mm-hmm. where they end it with the after credits uh, animations with Kingpin kind of overshadowing New York City. Uh, but I, I think this did a great job of picking music that is, you know, holiday themed and making it work well with the story and enhancing the scene and everything. But I absolutely love how they use uh, the Nutcracker in there. And, and, and I think I heard this on your show, Tara, and I've got to go back and, and listen to it, but I'm really surprised I didn't catch this. But I think in the arming scene where in episode six, when they're doing the tricks, uh, the trick arrows and they're creating yes. those, I, I think I heard you say that they played the music from Home Alone or Home Alone 2 when Kevin is, you know, doing his uh, battle plan and all that. Well, I think, oh, 
I think it was definitely inspired by that. I have to look it up. But Chris- Christoph Beck, who did most of the scoring for Hawkeye, I believe mm-hmm. that that scene, the score is it's credited to him. But I, I would have to imagine that he intentionally chose some notes that also showed up in that Home Alone music because from John Williams because right. it, it is so similar. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So yeah, so that that's why I love. I mean, I'm a sucker for for holiday stuff, anyways. But I think again, they they did a great job of using it to enhance the story and not like a, a cheap filler music just to kind of you know say this is a holidays you know story, just a reminder for you, you know. Totally agree. I thought it was really, really effective as well. Well, from music to fashion, if we're doing superlatives, we have to have a best dress category. <laughs> so uh, using best dress here as the umbrella term for what was everyone's uh, favorite new superhero suit? Because there were a few that were introduced this year. And I'm going to go with Actually, not a new suit for an old hero, but with a new hero and how he is outfitted, and that is Shang Chi. Um, the mm-hmm. getup that he has it, that includes the dragon scales armor, uh, the red top. Um, of course, the dragon being representative of his mother's heritage and the mystical land of Talo, and uh, paired with his casual Air Jordans, which uh, both feel <laughs> practical, you know, for running around and also give him that that flair of the influence that he's gotten, you know, living in the U.S. Uh, the whole way that he is outfitted, the, the costume design feels thematically resonant and, and really connects to the character's identity. And I appreciate that a lot. Um, I, I got to say, Tara, that Shang-Chi was my second favorite. Um, and, and I'm going to follow up with my favorite. It did a a really strong honorable mention that I think you'll like as well. Um, so my favorite was, was Sam Wilson's captain America suit. Cause I think good. it looks so fantastic. They did a great job of making it look really good. That was heavily inspired by, um, by the comics. They had that connection with, um, with the suit being, you know, from Wakanda. And I love how they, out of that detail in there mm-hmm. with the whole story. I mean, and I'll say this Hawkeye, um, if it wasn't for Hawkeye Falcon winter soldier would have been my favorite show because of all the conversations that we've had as a society surrounding that, like just seeing what people were talking about on Twitter and TikTok and everything. I think it did a lot in terms of bringing issues to the forefront to have people discuss about these things. And so I think having his suit made from, the technology in Wakanda was a great way to help embody what it means for Sam Wilson to be Captain America now. Um, but my honorable mention, I have to say, is the head crown of Wanda yeah. for Scarlet Witch. Because I will I will say this until the day I die. I absolutely hate the classic comic look of Wanda. Mm-hmm. I just I've never liked it. I particularly do not like the head crown at all. But when they did it in the show, I was like, that actually looks awesome. And I can get behind that. So whoever came up with that design, props to them because they made a believer out of me of, you know, I, I think that is probably the best um, best design for Scarlet Witch's head crown I've ever seen. Because everything in the comics, I'm like, I, I don't care for at all. Cool. So. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite, Ellie? This is so tough. <laughs> Again, like this is like so difficult because there were so many amazing kind of like superhero suits that we got and definitely agree with Sean Sam's Captain America 
get up. Oh my God. <laughs> Amazing. It's so like perfect for his character. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the standouts for me was definitely the final Scarlet Witch. Yeah. Look, mm-hmm. we got in WandaVision. It like, first of all, it was just like the moment that we got the reveal. It was just so amazing. And like, it, it looked amazing. So good, and it's one that I would totally buy. If I had the money for it, I was like, I would totally buy that final like Scarlet Witch look. And it's just kind of interesting to see how it will also evolve with her character. It's like one of those little things because we always see the suits evolve throughout the movies and the shows that we get, and as our characters grow. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see how much of like her personality and experiences will alter it in the future. Yeah, yeah. And since we only got so little of it in the WandaVision finale, I do hope that we get to see that look again in Multiverse multiverse Madness. Or, you know, I, I agree with you that it, it's we're definitely going to see it change and grow and develop. And I like the idea of that, you know, coming along with changes in her character and development in her character. Although from a cynical point of view, they also just want to sell more Funko Pops, which I get. But I, um, that's okay. I'll buy them. <laughs> yep. Um, but I also, I also do hope that we get to see that it's not too drastically changed right away because I thought that look at the end of WandaVision was so great. I, I love that. Yeah, I love that um, outfit. I uh, am a little surprised nobody mentioned the new Spider-Man suit, but I think the new Spider-Man suit... I wanted suit- to, but I, I, I was going to, but I was like, I should give some credit to some of the other characters. Yeah. <laughs> Got to spread spread the love around a little bit, too. I, I had to take that approach in some of my favorites here, too. So the next category is Best Duo. So, Ellie, did you... Did you cheat and pick the three Spider-Men or <laughs> um, you would think I it was oh, really geez. funny I actually did joke with a friend <laughs> I was like should I like change things up and like do best trio <laughs> instead but I have to give some love to Sam and Bucky <laughs> yeah I love them I'm like again it's like their characters are so different and it's just so interesting seeing them connect and interact because i mean steve was Mm -hmm. steve was their bridge and now it's kind of like what happens when you take steve out of the picture and truly it is because of like sebastian and anthony's chemistry that makes it so perfect oh yeah but i just literally watching falcon and the winter soldier like seeing those two was one of my favorite bits of it Mm -hmm. um for me, it, it's Kate Bishop and Yelena. It's their chemistry on screen is just fantastic. And people are already saying they want to see more of them, whether it's like a spinoff series or or their own movie or something like that. And, and there's just rumors running rampant, but they just have such great chemistry and dialogue with each other that it just has a lot of different um, levels of enjoyment. Like they're very funny with each other. Uh, it seems like they're just really in sync with one another. And, th- and the fact that they respect each other <laughs> so much in terms of Elena being impressed by what Kate can do and Kate trying to take out Elena. Elena just never really takes her out, even though she could totally do that since she's been a trained assassin. Um, I, I just think that their chemistry and their interaction on screen is just one of my favorite duos of, of the year. And I, I really hope to see them more in the future. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I almost went in the direction of Kate and Yelena just for all the reasons why 
all the reasons that you said, Sean, but I decided mm-hmm. to also spread the love a little bit. And I actually went with Kate Bishop and Clint Barton because for me, mm-hmm. as a as somebody who, you know, never, I've talked about this before, Hawkeye was not the Avenger who really resonated with me too much. It's, it's kind of easy to make jokes at, at his expense, as we've talked about. And then I was really excited for the show because the My Life as a Weapon uh, and the, the Fraction AHA run had been recommended to me and I read that and really enjoyed it. And so I was much more open-minded at that point about you know who Clint Barton is. But the show really, really made me love his character and again, recontextualize what came before it and, and have an attachment to Jeremy Renner as Clint Barton. And a lot of that I think is because of the relationship with Kate Bishop and the the passing of the torch type of relationship, the teacher uh, mentor type of relationship uh, that they develop in the series is something that, you know, I can relate to and something that I feel it, you know, it, it resonates with me personally. And so I just really loved seeing that play out on screen and, um, yeah, honorable mention, maybe Druig and Makari from Eternals because they were great together on screen too. I love them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it, I I love their relationship. Their their relationship was just so great for so many reasons. I I agree with that completely. Yeah, I am looking forward to seeing more of them. I hope that in mm-hmm. the uh, the feedback and the response that has come from fans related to Eternals, I hope that one of the messages that is heard loud and clear by the creative people in control. So putting it out there into the universe to manifest is that we love Druig and Mercari, like more of them, please more of them interacting. And um, I hope to hope to see that. I also hope to see the Kate and Yelena rumored movie or show or whatever might, might be coming down the pipe. Mm. Fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, shout out to the infinity film podcast. I was on their show a couple weeks ago. We were doing a, ranking of 2021 in the MCU over there and uh the best duo question was one that those guys posed and we had a really fun conversation about duos this year as well because there were certainly a lot of them so check out that episode if you have not already now on to sadder topics a category called in memoriam there were a few character deaths this year and I didn't feel right saying favorite because <laughs> that's that even though it <laughs> yeah. might be our favorite. Kind of morbid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, you know, sometimes I'm a glutton for punishment and some very sad scenes uh, do become my favorite because of the emotional resonance. But which would have your pick for a saddest character death or a character death that you want to take a moment to talk about here today? Uh, Ellie, starting with you. Um, Aunt May's death actually broke me to many, many pieces. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, they, Marvel gave me hope for just a minute. They gave me hope that she would be okay. And then then (laughs) there was this one perfect moment where I was like, she's okay. She's fine. She's standing. She's talking. She, nothing bad is happening. And then she delivered the line. And my heart dropped. I immediately knew. I was like, oh, God, she's about to die. And of course she did. And it's, I mean, I have to give so much credit to Tom Holland because he is so good at when it comes to emotional scenes like this. Mm-hmm. And if, if, like, honestly, it probably wouldn't have been as heartbreaking if it wasn't for his emotional delivery. But like one of the reasons why it's like this character's 
like on Mace that sticks out to me so much, of course, is because it's such an emotional moment. But again, it's what it means for his character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he hadn't really faced a loss like that because of course he lost Tony, but like the emotional impact of that compared to someone like Aunt May, who's been a part of his life for so long that he, she's his family. And that emotional aspect of it for his character almost makes it even more heartbreaking. So that's definitely the one that sticks out the most for me. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in talking about emotion there, I, I've got to hop on that and say that when Tom Holland was on the shield and that look of him wanting to kill Green Goblin. Oh, my yeah. gosh. That like, I was like, tears I, you, all over again. I know. <laughs> well, and you've never seen him with that emotion on screen as Spider-Man. Yes. And it was I'll, it was terrifying. I was just like, kudos to Tom Holland. Like, He's so talented. <laughs> he is. He's yeah. so talented. <laughs> um. For me, I, I'm I'm going to say, um, I'm technically going to say two things because I I, I want to share this um, um, story that I have about Shang Chi is that there is um, somebody in the movie and I forget his name. He's a very minor character, but he is one of the uh, people from the village that's the main archer yes. that uh, helps encourages oh, Katie. Yes, yeah, um, and. I actually looked into this guy. He is actually a legend that no one really knows about. Like apparently he studied with Bruce Lee and he impressed Bruce Lee a lot and does a lot of stunts with Bruce Lee. Like he has a lot of martial arts acting um, Very experience cool. that I think goes under um, underappreciated. Um, but I, I got to mention this because for whatever reason, when we're watching the movie, my son gravitated to that character for for whatever reason i don't know what it is but he in every movie he gravitates to different characters sometimes the main characters and sometimes it's just a character that he finds really interesting and he absolutely hated the fact that he died in that movie and it was just heartbreaking to watch him you know see that because he was like it caught me off guard because he i already saw it when we saw with him and he asked me like does he die and like i didn't want to tell him yeah. And I didn't know how to like say it to him. Like in that moment, like nothing prepared you for parenthood, like how to handle this moment of, of parenting. Right. And so I he was just like, why don't you just watch? And of course he was really upset by that. And so I feel really bad. Um, but to that story, for me, the saddest character death is actually when Lou yeah. um, for a number of reasons, because his character is very interesting in terms of, you know, his, villainy quote-unquote is really driven by loss and it's almost the same way as clint barton and hawkeye where when you have that sort of loss you're just kind of you know blinded by what's actually happening and so and and that's what was happening to him is he didn't realize it until it was too late um and i've been meaning to do a tiktok video so maybe i'll do it in the next couple of days but what i really find really um interesting about his death is right before he dies, you see that he gives the 10 rings to Shang-Chi. And if you go back to earlier in the movie, there is a scene that's very subtle, but I think it's a powerful um, for this moment that I'm actually surprised they didn't do like a little callback right before this happened. But there's a scene where when we was talking to Shang-Chi when he was like 10 or 12 and training and like his knuckles are bleeding and everything. And he says something to the effect of, I will give you the rings when you can show me that you're ready for the rings. And I think that's what he was thinking at that moment in time mm-hmm. when he just hands them over is that he saw how, you know, he pretty much 
stood up to his own father and is doing the right thing and that he's deserving of the rings. And I think just the act of doing that was just really heartbreaking for that moment, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And listening to you talk about this now, I realized that in the list I sent you guys of superlatives for the year, I completely forgot to put in favorite villain, <laughs> which I think is a pretty standard. I have an category. answer. If you yeah. just want to ask it. Um, we, can, we can do the next one. I yeah. think I think we need to throw that in there because, well, uh, to wrap up status character death, I you know I agree with both of, of of yours. They were both on my list. I think my number one and and just how much it hit me is Aunt May and Spider Man, and I connected to the line that you brought up earlier, Ellie, and just like the the huge amount of emotion that we see from from Tom Holland in that scene and the way that it it transitions from this extreme sadness and uh, into rage and what that movie deals with thematically so that that would be my pick there and then for favorite villain of the year I am also picking Wen Wu uh, you know Green Goblin is up there as well I thought seeing Willem Dafoe back as Goblin was great um, but for me for all the reasons you said Sean just the emotional resonance of the Wenwu character, his relationship to Shang-Chi, and the fact that in the moment that he dies, he is making a decision to, uh, he's making an, an active choice there to to pass those rings on to, on to his son. Um, who, who's, who's your favorite villain of the year, Ellie? Green Goblin. I don't know what yeah. Willem Dafoe like <laughs> bodied that role. I don't know what he drank or ate before like coming to set. <laughs> each of those days because <laughs> I was shocked. I was like, Oh my God. Like he gave it everything. And I I feel like, I don't know. I feel like if it's a little bold to say or not, but I almost liked seeing green goblin in no way home more than in like the first Raimi movie. I'd agree with that. I don't know. Like what it he it was just he was incredible in this one and just the way that the character was written it was amazing to see again what's your picture oh, i oh my gosh i it's so hard to pick because i i'm torn between winwu and um and Willem Dafoe's green goblin for those reasons and I, and i got you know with the interest of time and the fact that I, I didn't get the chance to kind of think through all of them, I'm going to say yeah. I agree completely with you, Ellie, is that Willem Dafoe just did a great job with that. And, and the fact that I, I think he really embodied the tortured part of Norman Osborn in this, that he didn't get to show in the other movies. Like he, he, he showed a little bit, um, but he didn't get to show it as much as he did with this one. And just mm-hmm. the sinister, approach that he took with the green goblin um just the taunting and the part where you know peter parker's like no i just want to kill you for myself and he's like that a boy you know like Mm -hmm. like that like it was just so yeah he just did a fantastic job of portraying that character 20 years after the fact and still nailing it that you know it's not a different character at all but it's just like that much better (laughs) this time around yeah so that so yeah i mean the film has just done a great job overall but um, Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, I think, is going to be um, a villain that people are going to talk about for a long time. Definitely. I'm glad we were able to uh, get some discussion of the villains in there. <laughs> I can't believe I overlooked that in the notes I sent you guys, but thank you. All right. So from villains to 
heroes, perhaps. I don't know. Uh, next category is MVP, or in other words, overall favorite character of the year. Starting with you this time, Sean. Um, so no surprise, and I, I mentioned this earlier, but uh, Clint Barton, just because of where he started with in the MCU and where he ends with the end of the series, uh, and, and just kind of doing like a 180 in terms of how we see him from the beginning, kind of being like a butt of the joke and, and delivers, you know, lines kind of that way, you know, where in the age of Ultron, when he's talking to Wanda and he's like, you know, there's all these, you know, aliens or uh, all these robots out here. And I'm just here with a stick and a string and, and all that. And, and getting a show that shows him at a lot deeper level and everything, I think has just been my favorite um, character to see, get that sort of treatment um, and be able to dive into that. And, and I gotta say, Jeremy Renner, um, you know, just did a great job of capturing that emotional trauma that he has from losing Nat and losing his family. Um, and I even said this in, in the review of, I think episode four or five of Hawkeye was he did a great job when he's talking to Kate about the loss that he suffered through Nat and his family. And then when she starts talking about Ronan, like he changes 180 in terms of, his um, handling of that trauma and his rationale for becoming Ronan because he was very emotional talking about, it. he was like, you know, had tears in his eyes and just like really upset. Um, and then as soon as, as Kate figures out that he's Ronan and mentions that he like shuts down. It was just like, this is how I had to handle it. And I think it, it was really fantastic to see that on screen and, and it shows the range of how he can sell that and a whole ranges of emotion that goes with how to handle trauma um, overall. So, so for me, it's Clint Barton. I think Jeremy Renner just did a great job in the show of being able to shine um, with so many ways with, with the emotional drama that he pulled into there to all the action. Like, I think this was probably the best action that we've seen from Hawkeye with um, even more than Avengers. Cause he had a lot of great scenes in Avengers, but you know, that whole scene in episode three where he does the flip over the banister and shoots the arrow that hits Kazi in the cheek and, and uh, hits uh, Kate's restraints and everything like that. Like I was my favorite action scene of all the series so was that one right there. Yeah. <laughs> Who's your MVP Ellie? Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say that for you, Ellie. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I probably should have done that. <laughs> Imagine if it wasn't. That would have been really funny. It would have been like actually Sean, not Spider Man. I feel I, like I, 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 I would have dropped to the floor if that happened. Like, what? You were like Icarus. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm like, the world doesn't make sense anymore now. Well, honestly, <laughs> I feel like I, re I really don't need to say anything else. Just Spider Man. <laughs> yeah. Well, Peter one, two, or three, though. Um, uh, <laughs> um, I, oh God. <laughs> okay, I got. I have an answer. Okay. After No Way Home, it goes Tom, Andrew, Toby. Okay. Wow, that's a change. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Tom, Andrew, Toby. Yeah. <coughs> Wait, that's it was one, two, Andrew, three, right? not three, two, one. <laughs> one two three yes one two three I, yeah andrew okay andrew it's really tough because andrew and tom are basically my number one mm -hmm. but because of just how amazing tom was 
in this movie, I'm like, man, I got to give him the number one spot because he really embodied the character so well. He made the ultimate sacrifice. Like he remembered those words, you know, with what comes with great power, there's a lot of responsibility. And he was looked at what was about to happen. Like the multiverse was opening. Like you could, we as viewers could see all of these villains all like coming into this universe. And there was only really one thing he could do. Mm. And he sacrificed everything for it. He gave up. He essentially like in a way gave his life for the greater good. So I, I really have to give it to Tom to being my number one for that reason. Overall favorite character of the year for me. I mean, obviously, I considered Peter Parker. I even considered Clint Barton as somebody who hadn't been a fan of his before. But just how much Hawkeye had an impact on me this year and, and thinking about everything you were just saying, Sean. Uh, I also considered because... This would be the last time that I could give it to her, really. I considered Natasha Black Widow because we finally saw her movie this year and got to learn about that chapter in her life that we'd never seen before. And her presence is is really felt in um, in Hawkeye in a way that I think finally kind of gives gives her death its due um, in in allowing our characters on screen, specifically Clinton and Yelena, with grappling with her death. Uh, but... Looking ahead more to where the MCU is going next, I'm choosing Wanda because, as I've mentioned already, WandaVision is my favorite overall installment of the year. It means a lot to me. And just seeing how how much depth there is to her character that, you know, she hadn't necessarily stood out to me before in Ultron or Civil War or Infinity War Endgame um, specifically. Yeah, I, th- I thought she was mm-hmm. fine, cool, whatever. But really to see just the amount of... Uh, of depth and poignancy that Elizabeth Olsen brought to the performance and how she was able to, to show um, that grief that we've talked about already so many times and, and to, to uh, depict her through different decades. And she is a character who I think is going to have a huge arc moving forward in the MCU. I can't wait to see her in multiverse of madness. And so, um, yeah, so Wanda would be, be my MVP and I can transition into favorite scene, our final big category here, because I alluded to this earlier, <laughs> I'm choosing a scene from WandaVision, and it's uh, the scene that uh, that encompasses the quote that you guys cho- chose earlier about uh, Vision's quote, what is grief if not love persevering, and the actual standout quote for me in that larger scene is when Wanda... So to, to set the scene a little bit, episode eight of WandaVision, previously on, Wanda is being le- guided through her her memories, her experiences by Agatha. I was tempted to pick the Agatha All Along song for my favorite scene, but <laughs> I, again, I went I went more conceptual, I went more emotional than I just did with with fun and funny here. But she's revisiting a memory with Vision at the Avengers compound that takes place after the death of Pietro, so probably somewhere between Age of Ultron and Civil War. And uh, Vision comes in and she's watching Malcolm in the middle and we're seeing, you know, her relationship to sitcoms and Vision asks uh, why it's funny that the character in the scene is getting injured uh, and how do we know that he's not really hurt or something like that. And Wanda just says, it's not that kind of show. 
And I, I just thought that was really powerful in a meta kind of way. And you spoke to this earlier, Sean, how much uh, it speaks to his character and develops his character in the scene. He's learning how to be human. He's speaking about how he has never had a loved one to lose. And so he can't experience loss, but he tells her it can't all be sorrow. He says the line that we all, that we already talked about. And it just really shows their connection and establishes mm. so much for for her mental landscape and that grief she's experiencing. So I chose that as my favorite scene of the year. And I have to, I have some guesses as to uh, which movies or shows y'all's favorite <laughs> scenes came from. Um, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let you start, Ellie. <laughs> Took a while guess what movie I'm about to talk about. But we don't know which scene yet. So <laughs> That's true. I mean, I have right. to say, I, there were so many amazing scenes throughout everything we've like gotten in 2021. Like there's so many moments that really, really like just stand out to me, but of course, naturally talking about Spider-Man and I love this scene so much that, okay, not that I I do not condone people like filming in a movie theater. However, however, I did, (laughs) someone did post this, um, the scene on TikTok and I saved the video and then proceeded to make a five minute edit of it. So I could just watch it on a loop really easily. (laughs) I I really committed. And it is the moment when we're in our third act, our three Spider-Men have come to the realization that they really need to work together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They can't each just work individually. And after this conversation, they have their action plan. And this is the scene where they all run, jump off, swing. Yep. Tom does a thing where he webs both of them and whips them Amazing. forward. They land and they pose. That scene, especially when we get the shot of all of them posing. I, oh my God. The Amazing. Excitement and like just like the emotions. I feel in that moment, oh my goodness, I love it so much. And one of my favorite elements of that scene as well is when you see them posing, you see how unique each of their pose is to Mm -hmm. their character. Yes. Because they don't all pose the same way. Each of theirs is just unique to them and whatever feels right to them. Oh, and I just, I love this scene so much. It's so good to me. (laughs) And it's a happy one. So it's like, yay. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Definitely up there. What's your pick, Sean? You know, I, uh, there's like four scenes I keep going back and forth on because they, they all have such great aspects to them and it's really hard for me to will it down but I, I think what i'm going to do is i'm going to share this scene and it's going to surprise both of you but it's going to i'm going to share this scene that maybe do something that i've never done before and it is the moment where we see evan peter show up in wandavision as oh, fake yeah. pietro because mm-hmm. when he showed up i physically screamed and i never do that in movies or shows like I don't do that sort of thing but my wife and I were watching it and I was like oh my god like yelled at the TV and then she's looking at me <laughs> saying what is going on why are you yelling right now and so I had to explain to her like who that was and what this means and I went to the you know full nerd mode and she's like oh, okay that's interesting and then she moved on but like it I, I, I don't think I've had any other 
moment in the MCU where I was su- genuinely surprised by that, which I'm like, how did we not get this spoiled like everything else, right? Yeah. Um, so I was genuinely surprised by that, but it actually had made me have a physical response to that scene. So so I'm going to pick that one as my favorite scene. Yeah, that was that was on my list as well, because what a great moment. And decoupling it from the fact that it didn't really pay off and or it didn't necessarily <laughs> lead up, you know, to the people had a lot of expectations after that, a lot of speculation. And uh, right. so the follow through, you know, it, it in terms for me as well, like the follow through didn't need to be there for that to be an amazing moment because the moment itself of watching that was just so right. good. Um, yeah, it, it was all about that moment and not like, yeah. you know, the aftermath of it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and Marvel's notorious for doing that because they did that in Far From Home where they tease this is going to be a movie about the multiverse and introducing that. And then they pretty much just slapped the fans in the face by having Mysterio saying like, this is such a ridiculous idea and everyone yeah. bought it. Yeah. <laughs> but then what they do the next year, they they went with the multiverse Great idea point, and now we have it. So I still had hope. I was like, they're not going to just <laughs> drop this detail and then be like, haha, psych, it doesn't exist. <laughs> like, that's just ridiculous to me. <laughs> Yeah. Great point. Yeah. I, I, I know personally, like, I, I would, I, I know they're bringing the X-Men into the MCU at some point, but I think Evan Peters does such a great job in the X-Men franchise that I really hope they bring him back to oh, he's great. play uh, Quicksilver. So I would love that. Yeah. Oh yeah. He should reprise that role for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of before we wrap up here today, just looking ahead a little bit, I, I, need to thank you guys so much for all of your wonderful insights and perspectives on 2021 in the MCU. But looking ahead to 2022, we have a number of projects, uh, films and and Disney Plus series coming up. Is there one or two that are really standing out to you guys right now that you would say you're most looking forward to? I'm really excited about Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. I'm really excited, especially after seeing... Um, that first trailer, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this looks good. <laughs> this looks really good. I was like, No Way Home was an event. And I feel like this one might also kind of be similar where it's going to stick with us. And I feel like we're going to be discussing it for a while after um, a good few of us have seen it. Mm. Yeah, I, I've actually, I, I've never had any a lot of interest of Dr. Strange. I, I just not in the comics, not in the film or anything like that. So I've actually, I'm actually not, I I'm excited about what it means for the MCU, but I, I think I'm just not really that like looking forward to it necessarily as much as some of the other ones. Um, but I, I, I got to share this at one point in time, I was looking forward to the Miss Marvel series because mm-hmm. I got into the Miss Marvel comics a couple of years ago and I absolutely love um, Kamala Khan and, and her story and the character. Um, there's been some rumors coming around that are showing that they're making some adapt adaptations about her character that I'm not particularly keen with. And so I'm, I'm not looking forward to that as much if that's the case. Sure. Um, but I would say, you know, of all the things that's coming out in 2022 that's been confirmed, um, I think the two that really sticks out for me is She-Hulk and Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, just because I'm a sucker for holiday stuff. <laughs> so I can't wait for that. The music is going to be so good. You just oh, know yeah, already. Yeah. 
Definitely. The music is always something I always look forward to for any sort of Marvel project because yeah. they always do really good. Like they always get really mm-hmm. amazing composers to do the score. The soundtrack itself and like the song choices are always so amazing. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they make uh, really good choices all around. So it's I always get excited for the music aspect of it, no mm-hmm. matter what the project is. Yeah, I'm I'm with you guys right now. Maybe because the Doctor Strange trailer is the one that we have. I, I would say that I am anticipating that a, a bit more than uh, Thor Love and Thunder or Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which are the other two films that are slated to come out this year, much because of Wanda. Um, and I'm also, my top show that I'm looking forward to this year is She-Hulk because I'm a huge fan of Tatiana Maslany. Oh, She-Hulk is going to be so good. It's going to be so excited for that one. (laughs) I think the tone, I I, from that small clip that we got on the Disney Plus day, and just knowing the range that Tatiana Maslany has, like I'm, I'm excited for a tone that maybe kind of uh, bridges some more comedy, campiness a little bit, maybe some irony, but also she can really bring the emotions as well. So really looking forward Mm -hmm. to that show. And I think that show they're going to have her break the fourth wall is what I yeah. heard. Yeah. That'd be so I'm which, excited for that. It's going to be really good. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I, I think what's interesting is that at the end of Shang-Chi, we saw Bruce Banner and not, you know, yeah. Banner Hulk. Mm-hmm. And then in this one, and, and I think it makes sense because I think in this one we saw, um, we saw Hulk and, and I can't remember if he had his arm in the sling or not. And so I think it, it, if his arm is in the sling, then that raises a lot of questions like, okay, so what's going on here? Exactly. If his arm is not in the sling, then, um, then you could say that, you know, that scene in sea Hulk, uh, from the Disney plus trailer is probably taking place like during the snap or something like that. Um, but I will also say, I say this all the time. Marvel does a great job of messing with you because in the infinity war trailer, True. It may seem like the Hulk was going to show up in Wakanda and that's not what we got. And so they do a great job of editing things out. So who who knows what we're going to get with that? But yeah, I I'm mean, very excited. With about no that. way home. They did the same thing. They yeah. left <laughs> out a lot of the characters. Yeah, they did. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. Oh man. Well, I want to thank you both so much again for joining me to discuss 2021 in the MCU. And I'm looking forward to collaborating with you both in the future in 2022 and perhaps to talk about some of these installments that we're looking forward to today before we wrap up here tonight i just want to ask you one more time to let listeners know name of your podcast and where they can find you on the internet if they would like to hear more from you sean yeah so uh first of all thanks for having me on i really enjoy talking about this stuff with yeah. with you all and and I, I don't get a chance to kind of go in depth with this too often so any any time that someone invites me i'm like yes please like i really want to talk to other people about about this stuff so i appreciate you inviting us on the show tonight um so the, the podcast that i'm a co-host of is called the captioned life and it's spelled uh, c-a-p-t-i-o-n-e-d um and you can find us um we have a website called the captionedlife.com um, but we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Reddit, TikTok, um, with the username Captioned Life. Uh, I am on myself and on Twitter, and my user handle name is uh, the Sean Hulk, S E A N Hulk. Um, and then I also write for a website called ComicWatch.com um, as a TV and film reviewer. And I, I gotta say, it's a great website, and I love writing for them. Um, the 
one many reasons, but one of the reasons I'll plug in is that it's not a clickbait type of site like what you see with some of the other popular ones. Um, and so it's really good reviews. We have a great team on there. And so, um, you know, if you haven't heard of us, uh, comic-watch.com is the website. And it has some really great um, reviews there. Awesome. Thank you, Sean. And Ellie, where can we find you? Um, of course, my the name of my podcast is Oh Shoot. And I am pretty much everywhere. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. You can find me at Oh Shoot Podcast. I just post movie stuff on TikTok. I just have fun <laughs> with my videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't take myself too seriously. But yeah, that's where you can find me. And as for kind of listening options, you can find me on most podcast platforms. So Spotify, Apple, Google, um, most apps that are usually really popular for podcasts you can find me there as well so lots of places to find me and yeah thank you again for having me for this episode it was so much fun to kind of like look at 2021 in review because i hadn't taken a moment to do like a minute even to do that well thank you i had a blast this was so much fun If you enjoyed this conversation about 2021 in the MCU, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can find Sean and his show, The Caption Life, at Caption Life pretty much everywhere on social media. And Ellie and her show, Oh Shoot, are at Oh Shoot Podcast. Their links are also in the show notes. As always, artwork by Brooke Pender, who you can follow on Instagram at D-E-L-T-A dot M-U-S-H. And music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening and stay tuned next week for a bonus episode in which I share my top 20 films of 2021, not just MCU films. I'm really excited to branch out a little bit and discuss some of my other favorites. And coming up after that, a Hawkeye series retrospective, as well as a deep dive analysis episode on Eternals later this month.